0: Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, a rift is growing between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia over oil production cuts. President Biden and lawmakers rethinking the relationship. And thousands of government officials investing in companies they oversee, according to a new report. Is there a conflict of interest? And warning from the Bank of England, saying the country's financial stability is at risk as the bank is forced to take more emergency action to save government bonds. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. President Biden is reevaluating the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia, according to the White House. He's rethinking it after OPEC Plus last week said it was cutting oil production, something the Biden administration asked it not to do. Here's what the White House National Security spokesman John Kirby told CNN today.
1: Uh, but I think you'll find that the, that the president uh, obviously disappointed by the OPEC decision uh, and is going to be willing to work with Congress as we, as we think about Uh, what the right relationship with saudi arabia needs to be going forward
0: OPEC's production cuts could lead to higher prices at the pump and boost profits for opec members including russia but washington is trying to limit moscow's energy revenue because of its war in ukraine all this is creating a rift between the us and saudi arabia now democrat senator bob menendez is calling to freeze cooperation with the saudis He said that includes stopping arms sales and security cooperation beyond what's needed to defend U.S. interests. Menendez said Saudi Arabia can either support the free world or support Russia, not both. He said the kingdom chose Moscow based on economic self-interest. Saudi officials reportedly think Biden wanted him to delay production cuts because of the midterm elections. That's according to The Wall Street Journal. A White House official rejected those claims. And how do you feel about government officials investing in companies they oversee? Could be be a conflict of interest, right? According to a New Wall Street Journal investigation, more than 2,600 agency officials disclosed that they owned stocks in companies while those companies lobbied their agencies. The journal says that's more than one in five top federal employees across 50 agencies. The journal obtained the data by filing written requests. The review covers 2016 through 2021. Under U.S. law, federal officials cannot work on matters that could impact their personal finances. But there are some exceptions. The journal says in most conflict-of-interest cases it found ethics officials said employees complied with the rules. As for violations, the investigation says they are met with light punishment, if any. The journal's report suggests that employee stock trades aren't a big priority for ethics officials and agencies inspector generals. The journal found they rarely look into them. And the International Monetary Fund says storm clouds are looming over the global economy. Persistent inflation, a slowdown in China, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine have driven driven up the risk of a downturn. Markets have had a brutal year, with the SP 500 down 25% this year. Global bonds entered a bear market, and the dollar is around a two decade high. The IMF noted that up to 29% of emerging market banks would breach their capital requirements in a severe global recession. That would result in a capital shortfall of over $200 billion. Banks in advanced economies seem to have sufficient capital and liquidity. U.S. banks will report third quarter earnings starting this week and are expected to show weaker profits. The 6 biggest banks in the US are expected to set aside nearly $5 billion in the third quarter to cover future loan losses. Lenders are bracing for a potential global recession. Analysts say the reserve buildout could be the biggest drag on bank profits. On Monday, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warned of a recession in the next 6 to 9 months. JP Morgan releases his third quarter results on Friday, followed by Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and Morgan Stanley. Bank of America and Goldman Sachs will announce their results early next week. According to Refinitiv, third-quarter profits for the banks are expected to fall between 13% and 46%. Shares of the big six U.S. banks have plunged between 14% and 34% so far this year. And on Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow Jones rose 36 points or one of s S&P 500 fell 24 points or seven tenths of a percent and the Nasdaq lost 116 points or one and one-tenth of a percent. The situation is growing darker and darker for Prime Minister Liz Truss. The Bank of England is forced to take even more emergency action as Britain's economic chaos relentlessly continues. This is the fifth time it's tried to calm the markets in just a little over two weeks. So let me get you up to date after Liz Truss gave details on her pro-growth tax cut agenda, investors did not approve. They dumped UK bonds like it was nobody's business. This is very bad for the UK government, because it makes it more expensive for it to borrow. So the Bank of England stepped in and bought government bonds, artificially creating demand. This helped a little. The big bond sell-off slowed down, a sign of progress. But then just yesterday, it surged upward yet again. So today, the Bank of England is buying something called index-linked government debt. Well, what is index-linked government debt? These are bonds that are supposed to protect people from inflation. Their payouts are tied to inflation, specifically Britain's retail price index, similar to America's consumer price index. There was a huge sell-off of these inflation-linked bonds yesterday. So today, the Bank of England is spending the equivalent of $5.5 billion on these bonds once again, to artificially boost the demand and make it cheaper for the government to borrow. And unfortunately, it currently is not cheap for the government to borrow. It's paying the highest inflation-adjusted borrowing costs since 2008. But the bank's announcement did seem to have an effect. Bond yields dropped a little bit, but after dropping, they're now crawling back up. Another issue Liz trust has to contend with is collapsing pension funds. The Bank of England's actions were partially meant to help them, because many of them hold these index-linked bonds. The chief economist of the Trust's hedge fund, Daniel Lacalle, says these pension funds were already in in a bad position even before Trust came into power. The entire financial system was uh, betting massively on no inflation by purchasing negative yielding bonds and that those are now in uh, negative nominal and real returns, which means that many of those pension funds simply don't have any equity, they need to recapitalize themselves. The problem that we are living right now is also evident in Japan, is evident in uh, in the Swedish market, in Norway and others, where they have a very similar situation, which is simply that bonds are collapsing all over the world. Inflation was pretty low for decades, so it made sense for people back then to bet it was going to stay low. They didn't predict the COVID pandemic or Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But now COVID did happen. Putin did invade Ukraine and inflation is high. So now the pension funds are paying for those massive bad bets. The big bond sell-off is causing the last compartment of the Titanic to flood. Just last week, nearly 90% of UK pensions, which hold the equivalent of $1.7 trillion, nearly collapsed. And if a fund collapses, then millions of workers and retirees who have been paying into that fund simply won't get their payout. Many retirees depend on pensions to support themselves. Despite the increasingly dark situation Liz trust is in, the financial instability and the disapproval of the masses, Lakai believes she should stay the course. Her legacy in UK history is yet to be finalized. Now turning to America's pensions, our own situation isn't very pretty. One one reason is it's hard to see. America's state and local pensions pretty much hide all their investments from from, from the public. They're basically a secret. Nobody knows where they're putting the money. Meanwhile, thousands of corporate pensions already collapsed. Today's pensions also like to gamble with high-risk investments and borrow heavily. Many don't even know how much they've borrowed because they simply don't keep track. While our retirement security isn't getting as much bad press as the UK's, it's also far from perfect. perfect. And moving on, China's getting ready for its 20th Communist Party Congress has stepped to security and COVID curbs and decorated the capital with red political banners. The 20th Party Congress occurs every five years and brings together 2,300 party members, mostly behind closed doors. It will take place at the Great Hall of the People on Tiananmen Square on Sunday. Beijing has hired extra security personnel, including 42 guards, to keep 24-hour watch on potential troublemakers. At the Congress, Xi Jinping is poised to become China's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. And earlier I spoke with Joseph Trevisani about the Party Congress and the Chinese economy and whether it will overtake the U.S.'s. Here's what he said. Joseph, good to see you as always. So the 20th Chinese Party Congress is coming up and Xi Jinping is very likely getting a third term. Now, the size of China's economy has doubled. More than uh, more than double since 2010. It's around the same time she took over, actually. So, so if she is at the helm again, are you betting that China has a shot at overtaking the U.S. Say in the next decade? Nice to see you, Don.
2: Thank you for having me. Uh, I think they probably do. They certainly have a shot. A lot of it depends on internal politics and internal events in China more than anything else. I mean, how fast is China going to be able to grow? How much of an impact are the COVID policies going to have on production? A more difficult question is, how much will foreign investment in China decline, or at least not increase as fast as it has been doing, because of internal policies, political policies, and also the COVID policies in China? So these questions are you're not really sure about, but they certainly have a chance, absolutely.
0: Would you say these two things, investment and the zero COVID policy, are the two biggest obstacles?
2: I would think so. Um, I mean, the Chinese COVID policies from an external point of view, from outside China, do not make a great deal of sense. So I don't see really what purpose it serves from a health point of view and certainly from an economic point of view, except that politically, it means that the government and the regime in Beijing does not have to say they're sorry.
0: Now, Joseph, let me just ask you point blank: Do you think China will ever be able to overtake the U.S. if it doesn't move away from the policy?
2: Well, if the policies stay in place for the next 10 years, I would say no. I think I don't think even China will do that. I think that right now the political winds are such that the Party Congress wants to make go into the Party Congress and into. She's next term, saying that their COVID policy was both correct and a success. I think once they're over that moment, then I think they will begin to loosen up the policies. It just doesn't make any sense, really, what they're doing.
0: Now, there's another element to this, China's aging population. By 2050, over 300 million Chinese will be over age 65. Now, do yes. you also see this as a major obstacle?
2: I do, although it's difficult to say. The only country that really has a parallel to this, of course, is right across the Sea of Japan in Japan, where they have both a declining and a rapidly aging population. If there's one thing that seems to be true, it's that an aging population does not generate dynamic economic growth. We have seen that in Japan for almost 20 years. China must be aware of that. The Chinese government must be aware of that. So it must be something that's very concerning to them.
0: Now, hypothetically speaking, if China did overtake the U.S. economy, what would that mean? Why would that matter?
2: It doesn't really matter very much. I mean, it, it's not a very important item. Uh, if you look at the GDP per capita, which is probably a better measure of what the relative wealth of any country is, the U.S. is far ahead of China, and not in any case in danger of being overtaken, it's about 70,000, a little bit less, to 12,000. That there isn't any capacity there to improve that. So for the lives of the people in the country, GDP per capita is far more important.
0: But wouldn't it give China more influence on the world stage?
2: Not really. I don't think it will. What gives China influence on the stage is what its economy does right now and what industries it dominates. If China moves to dominate say chip manufacture which is a relevant topic for Taiwan of course then yes it gains an enormous amount of influence by controlling that particular industry and others would be like that so i think that's probably more important and they're chinese certainly aware of this than a relative size overall size of the economy
0: all right thank you very much joseph Trevisani, senior analyst fx street always a pleasure
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. Still to come after the break, automaker General Motors launching a new energy business. How could it help electric vehicle owners at home? The FBI warning older Americans to be careful online because scammers are targeting them and losses are soaring. How can you protect yourself? Then more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Seems like some drivers are putting too much trust in their self-driving cars. That's according to research released Tuesday by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The study found that 53% of General Motors users, 42% of Tesla users, and 12% of Nissan users were comfortable letting the system drive without watching what was happening on the road. Some were even comfortable letting the vehicle drive during inclement weather and in parking lots. Even though automakers have cautioned drivers about the limitations, researchers say some people still don't understand the limits. The findings were based on phone and online surveys of roughly 600 regular users of the General Motors Super Cruise, Tesla Autopilot and Nissan ProPilot assist systems. And growing demand for EVs and electrical power grids are forcing companies to change course. GM is doing so by launching a new energy business unit to focus on providing a broad spectrum of energy solutions. NTD's Sean Marshall has more.
1: GM Energy will now consist of Altium Home, Altium Commercial, and Altium Charge 360. Similar to how Tesla builds its Powerwall and PowerPack products, GM's home and commercial battery packs will rely on the same type of batteries as those used in the automaker's electric cars. The Altium expansion would bring balance to the EV home integration industry and increase its foothold in a new market, which Tesla has been leading without much competition. GM aims to help owners of Altium-based EVs to lower their energy costs, use their cars for emergency backup power, and possibly lower their lease payments by letting utilities draw small amounts of energy from their EVs when plugged in several large-scale companies across the u.s have already agreed to work with gm and provide energy solutions to customers and receive product or service offerings sean marshall ntd news
0: tis the season to start your holiday shopping it's prime day all well, day one that is of amazon's new prime early access sale tuesday and wednesday you'll find deep discounts exclusively for prime members on everything from electronics home and kitchen products, and must have toys to beauty favorites and top fashion picks. Prime Day typically happens only once a year in June, so this is a bonus sale for those hoping to save. If you or a loved one are over 60 years old, listen up. The FBI is warning that scammers are increasingly targeting older Americans online, and losses were way up last year. NTT's Jessica Beatty has more on the numbers and tips to protect against being scammed.
3: When the pandemic hit, people were pushed increasingly online. It seems scammers around the world took it as a golden opportunity to go after America's retirees. According to the FBI's 2021 Elder Fraud Report, over 92,000 victims over 60 years old reported losses last year. Those losses added up to $1.7 billion. That's up 74% compared to the year before. The FBI says the average dollar loss per victim was over $18,000. Thousands of victims lost over $100,000. The most reported fraud was tech support fraud. Scammers impersonate well-known tech companies and offer to help fix non-existent tech issues. More and more scammers are impersonating customer support, according to the FBI. Another big one is confidence fraud. That includes romance scams and grandparent scams. Criminals gain a victim's affection or impersonate a panicked loved one like a grandchild and then start asking for money. Victims lost the most money in these types of scams. Other types of fraud include lottery scams, government impersonation, and investment fraud. These scams are not going unnoticed. Earlier this month, the DOJ said it's adding 14 U.S. attorney's offices to its transnational elder fraud strike force. That means it's more than tripling the number of offices. So how can you protect yourself? The FBI's top tip, resist the pressure to act quickly. Scammers create a sense of urgency and want you to act right away. Update software, never give out personal information or money to people who only reached out to you online. And if you get suspicious pop-ups or a locked screen, disconnect from the internet and turn off the device. And stop communicating with the scammer, but expect that they'll keep trying to contact you. If you do encounter a scam, report it to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center and contact your local FBI field office. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: And Lyft said today it's testing an algorithm that will allow drivers to see destination and fare details before accepting a request. The test follows a similar move by big rival Uber. The companies are trying to fix driver shortages to meet surging demand following the pandemic. Lyft drivers will have access to details such as drop-off locations, estimated distance and time and fare details before accepting a ride. Lyft conducted a survey of over 1,000 drivers. The results showed more than 70% prefer the upfront pay model to previous pay models. Meanwhile, Uber's upfront pay system has drawn criticism from drivers. Some say Uber is taking a bigger percentage of their earnings. And for travelers who are having trouble getting to the airport, Delta is offering a new solution. A flight from your neighborhood on an electric aircraft. The company invested $60 million into Joby Aviation to offer the transfers. Joby says they aim to offer the service by using heliports or neighborhood vestiports designed for aircraft to take off or land vertically that are close to customers' homes and will use electric propulsion to make the aircraft as quiet as possible. Joby says passengers will land at vestiports located close to their terminal, drastically reducing the amount of time it takes passengers to reach the airport. Each aircraft has four passenger seats. Pricing has yet to be determined. Delta says it will begin offering the service in New York and L.A. in the next couple of years. And the record for the heaviest pumpkin ever grown in the U.S. has been broken. A horticulture teacher from Minnesota raised a giant gourd weighing 2,560 pounds.
2: That is special. I really wanted that. I never dreamed of that. And uh, to have it, to even be mentioned in that conversation is really cool.
0: Travis Ganger of Anoka, Minnesota set the new record and won an annual pumpkin weighing contest in Northern California. He drove 35 hours carrying the giant pumpkin to the 49th World Championship Pumpkin Weigh Off in Half Moon Bay, south of San Francisco. Ganger also won the same contest in Northern California in 2020, and he broke a record set last week in New York, where a grower raised a massive pumpkin weighing 2,554 pounds. According to Guinness World Records, a grower in Italy holds the world record for the heaviest pumpkin. He grew a 2,700-pound squash in 2021. And that's all the stories we have from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching and we'll see you tomorrow.